You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. As Jesus was standing by the lake of Get Set Get Genesaret, <laughs> the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. (coughs) Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. Mm, Let's pray. Lord, just give us wisdom and insight as we look into this passage of scripture, as we look into an experience that you had in the calling of these disciples. Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. I actually like Luke's writings. Um, In the first part of Luke, he says uh, that he's putting these together, this record, this account of Jesus and his uh, experiences on this world and this time that he was there and the early church. And so the book of Luke and the book of Acts go really hand in hand as, as Luke, who's a physician, does this historian type thing and follows it through. And the other gospels tend to sort of gloss over this calling of the disciples, but um, Luke actually goes into some depth. And so what I want to do this morning is to spend a bit of time with him, with his recollection of this story. Now, Jesus uh, was actually one of many teachers of the law. He was one of many. And what used to happen in those days was that somebody would have something great to say and so people would come and follow him and want to listen to him for a while. So they come around, listen to him and go, yeah, look, this guy's pretty cool. And then somebody else has got something else to say. So they are, oh, let's wander over there. And so these teachers would have a group of following. It was not unusual. Jesus was a little bit more unusual, though, because in Luke 4.37, he said the news about Jesus spread throughout the area. You see, that's really interesting because 
the news about Jesus spread throughout the area. So you can just imagine that this people, so if you picture the, the shore of uh, Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, uh, picture the shore and Jesus is on the shore and he's, and he's speaking to this crowd of people which is gathering. Oh, who's that, you know? Oh, that's, that's this guy, Jesus. Jesus, oh, ring a bell. Yeah, yeah, no, he did some stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's go and have a listen to him. So they, they all wander over and they're, they're listening to what this guy, Jesus, has to say. I'm sure that when Jesus had finished that there would be another teacher there, that they'd go over and say, wow, you know, you've got to hear Rabbi blah, blah. Oh, okay, he's really cool. Yeah, let's go and hear him. And so these folks would actually go around and listen to the teacher of the time. It's, I have to be honest, I think it's a little bit like today. As I've been involved in churches, I've found it really quite fascinating to see um, the number of Christians that move from church to church to church to church to church that move around because, oh, you know, God's over here because this person had healing. Oh, let's go over there. Oh, this guy's a great speaker. He can really talk and open up the word. Oh, let's go over here. Oh, no, yeah, but these guys have got great worship. Oh, I feel that God's taking me over here. And so when you look at the demographics of the church, you have the church, which is made of a group of folks that have a commitment to that place, but also you get this group of people that moves around all the time seeking for the latest or the best or the latest teaching or the most interesting teaching. That's a reality, I think, of what happens today. So we're really not any different from those days. We're really not any different. What happened, though, with Jesus was that there was something a little bit different from him there was something which was a bit more unusual about him. And that was the miracles and the things that he did in people's lives. So you can just picture this scene. Jesus is here talking to this crowd, growing crowd of people. And he's thinking to himself, you know what, I can't actually really get to speak to these people particularly well even though, you know, I project my voice really well and all that sort of stuff. He didn't have microphones in those days, but then they didn't use microphones and PA systems, so they had no setup. Isn't that good? So they didn't have to worry about that sort of stuff. And so he's looking around and he sees a couple of boats. Two boats. And these guys who are actually washing their nets because they've actually been working all night all night, all through the night, to try and get some fish. And all they've got is a couple of old boots and maybe a, maybe a bit of a pot of this or a whole pile of seaweed. And so they're cleaning their nets. Now, I don't know whether you've actually done any overnight shift, but um, it gets a bit pretty mind-numbing after you've been awake all night. And especially if you've had frustrated time. Especially if you've had a frustrated time. So Jesus looks over and he sees these guys. He knows full well that they've been doing this stuff all night. So he goes over to them and he says, you know what, can you guys give me a bit of a hand here because I want to speak to the people. Now this is not the first time that Peter has encountered Jesus because if we go back a chapter into Luke 4, we actually find out, and please, no mother-in-law jokes, 
we actually find out that Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Hence, no mother-in-law jokes. I said to Rhonda, I'm not going to let anybody think of mother-in-law jokes. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he'd actually gone to his house and his mother-in-law had this massive fever. Uh, Jesus healed her. She got up and she started serving him. So Peter's already had contact with Jesus. So it's quite interesting that Jesus is just over here and I'm sure that while Peter and Andrew and uh, the other guys were whinging and moaning, complaining about the fact they didn't have any fish, I'm sure they were also talking and listening with half an ear to this Jesus character who was just down the way speaking to this crowd of people. So Jesus comes over to their workplace. This is their place of work. Jesus leaves there and comes over to their workplace and expects to interrupt their work. Now, when you read the story, you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But think about it, it's a bit more. He's actually coming over and interrupting them at their place of work. Now, I don't know about you, but um, <clears throat> it's easy for us to see our workplace as being separate from our spiritual place, from our sacred place. It's actually easy for us to separate the secular and the spiritual. It's actually easy for us, and especially for guys, it's actually easy for us to say, you know what, that is my place of work, that is where I work, um, and I sort of have a God consciousness, but I sort of don't, because after all, this is a place of work and I'm supposed to work. But then I go, to, I go to Connect Church or I go to a prayer meeting or something or catch up with a Christian brother and, well, we talk about work and we talk about sport and recreation, but we don't really talk about spiritual stuff. And then I come to church and I do the spiritual things. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it's interesting, I find, how often that mentality can creep into our thinking, that we actually have a division of the sacred and the secular. I think this is something that is a challenge for us. As I've looked at the church, and I've been involved in the, you know, I became a Christian in the 70s, so I've been involved with the church for quite a while, and I've been involved in quite a number of different churches what I find, especially for the men, more so than the women, I think, is that what happens is church then becomes an activity and a place to go. It doesn't become an expression of a life. It becomes a thing. And we keep work and church spirituality separate. And when I say the word church, I'm actually thinking of a much bigger concept here. Um, <clears throat> there's a guy by the name of Thomas Merton who put this really quite well. Quite an interesting concept. He's a Trappist monk, and if you've ever wondered what a Trappist monk does, that's the sort of gear that they wear, and they make phenomenal beer too. 
just as an FYI, um, made in Belgium. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, but Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk, so he lived in a monastery. And let's face it, monasteries are places where you go to be in solitude and with a small community. After a time, um, and probably the last 10 years of his life, because he died in, I think it was 68 or something, um, he got a bit over that, and he actually felt that he needed more solitude. So he actually went into a hermitage on the property of the monastery that he was in to get away from everything so he could just focus on prayer. What happened was that God used that and actually used it so that people would then go to him for wisdom and insight, which I think is quite an interesting one. But anyway, there you go. And people used to ask him to teach them about prayer. And one of the things he said, which I thought just sort of stuck in my mind, was that he said, the problem is we get into the role of prayer. So I'm back in the 70s and early 80s, there was this little book that came out called Seven Minutes with God. How you can spend every day seven minutes with God. And people used to think it was pretty cool because they could do their seven minutes with God and then do a tick and that's done, spent time with God. Merton said, in reflecting on this, and he was reflecting on the fact that a lot of people had written liturgies or written prayers, but he said the problem is, what happens is we, we restrict prayer and our relationship with God to a particular role. And we then call that sacred. We call that the spiritual stuff. But he said the problem is, is that prayer is not sacred or, or secular. It's neither. Just like breathing is neither sacred or secular. You have to breathe. And so prayer is actually an expression of who you are to God. It's not something that you do. It's something that comes out of a natural expression to you. So he wanted to break down this delineation between the sacred and secular. And I think that's something that we can actually challenge ourselves with because what happens is that we see our workplace or we see certain areas as being secular and not being spiritual. If we see our whole lives as relating to God, then what happens is everything that we do becomes a prayer. Now, sometimes that's great prayer. Sometimes it's prayer that we're ashamed of. But all that we have and all that we do, whether we're in work at work with a consciousness of God or not, is still a prayer to God. Now, if you have that perspective, that really can blow your mind a bit. Because then when I'm busy pulling up plants or I'm writing reports or I'm doing this or I'm sorting out clothes or I'm whatever I'm doing, then becomes an expression of who we are and that, in turn, can become worship to God. So, so often, you know, when I speak to folks and I, and I, wrestle, I used to wrestle with this myself, is, you know, how do you pray? You know, Paul says, pray without ceasing. How on earth do you do that? Well, it's not that you're actually saying the words all the time. It's that you're understanding that your life is actually a prayer to God. Your life is spiritual. 
Your life is sacred. There's no delineation between us and the sacred and the secular. So I'll give you an example. When I was uh, in my secular work, um, I would actually... Uh, took me a little while to sum up courage, but I would actually, if somebody was sick, I would actually go and say, look, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Are you okay if I pray with you? And it was amazing the number of people that said yes. A couple of people say no, but then after a while they say, yes, that's fine. So I'm actually bringing... Sorry, I'm not bringing the spiritual stuff into my workplace. The spiritual stuff is already in the workplace because I am there. All I'm doing is expressing that verbally. I think there's a challenge there that we can take with us because some of us live in pretty interesting workplaces. And I'm not naive enough to think that all of them are just um, tea and biscuits. You know, some of our workplaces are pretty godless places. But you know what? They're not godless because they have you in them. You are taking the spiritual into that place. You are God's ambassador in that place. And so this is why I think the importance and the significance of Jesus coming over to Peter's workplace and saying, hey, listen, use what you have and help me. So, Pete rows out, row, 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 bearing in mind that he and Andrew are pretty, pretty stuffed after the, the night and going, and he's probably going, oh, seriously, yeah, nice Mediterranean sun, you know, uh, just rose a little bit off the shore so Jesus can finish talking. And look, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm giving Peter credit and saying that he was pretty focused on what Jesus was saying. But if it had been me and I'd been up all night and I was sitting in this gently rocking boat with a nice warm sun on my back, just thinking of going to have a sleep, I probably would have a bit of a kip, personally speaking. But I'm not reading that into Peter. So anyway, what happens? Well, they finish. And Jesus sits down, as the rabbis always do, the teachers of the law always did. They sat down to teach, and he sat down and taught. And then he finished. And then he says to Peter, he gets, he gets rid of the crowds, and then he says to Peter, he says, look, I'll tell you what, row out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, what would your first response be to that? Seriously. Huh? Where are the fish? We've been fishing all night. Don't feel like it. What are some other responses that you'd have? Are you for real? I'm tired. I'm knackered. I want to go home. And you know what one of the responses I would have had? Uh, Listen, mate, I I, I can see I respect you as a teacher and you've done some pretty cool stuff around the place. But, you know, let's face it, you are a carpenter. Just saying. You're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. I'm the professional, you're the new guy on the blocks. And you're telling us to go and let down our nets and go over there, whereas I just want to go home. I've got to hand it to Simon. He says, yep, master, look, 
we've worked hard all night. And actually, the perception I get from Peter is that he's a pretty impetuous sort of dude. So I think he would have said, uh, look, Master, seriously, we have been working here all night and we have caught exactly nada. So this is a pretty dumb idea of yours. Just saying. I don't know about you, but the B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, the B-U-T, is something which comes in all the time, isn't it? The issue is but. Jesus said, look, can you do this? Ah, yes, but. Ah, yes, but. Uh, Yeah, that's fine, but I'm tired. But I'm this, but I'm that, but I'm the other. Uh, Chatting to someone a couple of weeks ago and they said, you know, uh, just you know, I was watching TV and I just felt God say, oh, you know, why don't you just get them and switch the TV off? This is not a good movie you're watching. Go and pray. And so what happens? Yeah, that's a good idea. But I want to see what happens at the end. How often do we come up with these buts? They're just excuses, but we come up with these buts all the time. All the time. Now, we're not, we're not unusual in that. You think of Abraham. Abraham, whoa, God's speaking to Abraham. Dude, listen, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Ah, oh, yes, okay, but Sarah's pretty, pretty old. Hmm. Moses, Moses, listen, I'm going to make you, get you to lead this people out of Egypt and do some pretty amazing stuff. Yes, but... Jonah, I want you to go and speak to the people in Nineveh, even though they're not Hebrews, because I know that when they hear my word, they will repent. And what does Jonah say? Yes, but. Joshua, the man for all seasons, leads the people into the promised land. Yes, but. I wonder for us, how many buts do we introduce into when we feel that God is speaking to us? when we feel that he's asking us to do something, which we want to do, but you know what? It's actually going to cause us some level of cost. Time, effort, money, something. It's going to cost us. Pride, selfishness, it's going to cost us. And Jesus says to us, I would like you to. Yes, but. The interesting thing about buts, though, I find, is that they depend on me. They depend on my ability, my skills, my interest, my connections, my desires. That's where my but comes in. Because it depends on what I think and what I want. Because, after all, I know what is best for me. Well, don't ask Rhonda, but that's all right. I know what is best for me. So, yeah, thanks, Lord. I hear what you're saying, but... Peter rode out and still put the nets down. And I think whenever we have a but and come up with an excuse for serving or for, for doing something in the, that God is asking us to do, 
And we don't have to have the writing on the wall. I think of Adrian Plass. I don't know if you ever read his book, Adrian Plass, 33 and a third. is brilliant. He says, look, prayer meeting's on tonight. But the new James Bond movie's on tonight. So, Lord, I'm going to put out a fleece to you. If a Japanese submarine, mini Japanese submarine captain comes to knock at my door, then I'll understand that you want me to go to the prayer meeting. Otherwise, I'll stay and watch James Bond. So he's sitting down with a guilt-free conscience because he's just excused himself. He's put out the fleece to God and God hasn't come up with the, come up with the goods. And then a few minutes just before James Bond's about to start, uh, there's a knock on the door. And he's going, oh, seriously, what's this? So he goes to the door, expecting to see a Japanese miniature submarine captain. And instead, it's one of his mates. So he comes in and goes, yak, 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 and takes up all his time. Misses the whole movie. And then anyway, just at the end of the movie, um, he said, oh, the, his mate says, oh, James Bond's on. And Adrian says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, I really wanted to watch that, but uh, I thought oh, I'd better come over and have a chat to you, see how you were going. Um, so I've taped it instead. And so then he walks out and Adrian goes, are you for real? How many buts and excuses can we come up with? But actually, God's just calling us to obedience. God's but is quite different. See, when we put a but into God, we say it depends on me. When God says to us, yep, okay, I'm hearing your but, but I've got a but for you. His but depends on his character and his love. His but depends on his grace and his love. Because he knows what is going to be good for you and what is not. So, the guy's put out into the net. The guy's put out. They go out. They put the nets down. And what happens? Boat starts to sink. The boat starts to sink. If I was Peter, I'd be going, Hey, Jesus, what's the story here? You tell us to go out. We've, we've done the right thing. Now we've got so many fish that the boat's starting to sink. And what's the story here? What do you think you're doing? I think it's funny that, and I think this is a challenge that we can all take, that when the blessings of God flow, we actually pray for God's blessing in so many ways, but when they come, we actually don't want them. And I hear you saying, are you serious, Pete? Come on, mate, take a pill chill here. No, I think if God blessed us the way that he wants to bless us, we would actually not be able to handle it. And we would say, this is too much for me. What am I doing? You only have to think about what God has done for us in Jesus. He's adopted us into a family. He's brought us into a new life, into a new relationship. He's given us righteousness. He's enabled us. He's brought us forgiveness. He's enabled us to walk in companionship with God, the creator of the universe. He's enabled us. He's given us purpose. He gives us empowering from a day to day. He gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we 
incidentally, sometimes use and sometimes don't. Um, he's given us the fruit of the Spirit as well. And I could keep on going on and on and on and on and on. The list goes on and on. But how many of us sit down and say, I'm taking note of that and I'm going to think about that? And so when I'm relating to my partner or my friend or the kids or whatever, and I'm jumping up and down and yelling up and down, how many times am I going to say or hear the words of Jesus saying, Hey, Pete, my fruit of the Spirit is patience, is love. Are you showing that right now? Hmm. Okay. Interesting question. Interesting question. Am I prepared to do that? Well... That's a bit of a question, isn't it, really, that we all need to answer. I've been challenged in my spiritual direction journey. As I've... This has just been something over the last couple of weeks and actually relates to this. Because as I've spent time with God, I've realised that I'm happy to walk with the blessing of God to a degree, but then I don't necessarily want to go further than that because I think I'm not happy with that because I'm not sure how much God is going to expect of me. I'm not sure whether I can handle. And that comes back to, doesn't it, it's all about me. It's all about me. Hmm. Pete goes on. He says, get the other guys in. We've got so many fish here. Come on, let's pull them in. Let's get the other folks. So he goes to single. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's get, come on, come on. Come over. So the other guys come across. And I think it just reminds me of of how much that we tend to do things ourselves. And we don't rely on others to help us in that time of struggle, in that time of need. Even happy to share the blessings that God has. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Don't do that. He's very much aware. In those days, they had the Christians that did the thing as well, you know, that would forget church and all this sort of stuff. But not just church, about getting together. Those of you who know me know that my focus is not simply on church. I see this time as an opportunity for us to get together, to share the word of God with each other, to share the blessings of God and to share what God is doing in our lives. But it's only one small microcosm of an entire seven-day week of 24 hours. And the question is, what do you do in that period of time? So Pete responds. He says, wow, what do I do? I've just seen all this. This has been amazing. And he and all the others are absolutely astonished. And he says to Jesus, look, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I, this, is, I, this is way more than I can handle. And his, his, his response came from the fact that he was thinking about his own ability. He was thinking about his own ability. I'm a sinner. Now, I find Jesus' response really quite fascinating because he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I mean, seriously, Pete just said that he's a sinner, but you're saying to him, don't be afraid. What's that all about? How does that work? Fear is an incredible motivator. You think about your own life. 
Think about where fear comes in and what it motivates you to do. I mean, from simple things, which are not necessarily good or bad, I've got a fear of white ants, so what am I going to do? I'm going to get somebody in to spray the white ant place. If I've got a fear of clowns, what am I not going to do? Go and mix with clowns. Makes sense? And if you do a Google on the sorts of fears that are around the place, there's really some quite interesting fears. Um, And there's actually a phobophobia, which is a fear of fears, just to cap everything off. Jesus says, do not fear. Fear can actually bring us to God. It can actually drive us to God. So whether it's a fear of other folks within our workplace, a fear of not being able to do a job, the fear of our relationship, the fear of whatever, that we can actually use that to bring us to God. But fear is not a good motivator to continue on your relationship. It brings us to God, but it's not a good thing to continue on. And Jesus says to Peter, don't fear. Don't fear. 1 John says, perfect love casts out all fear. And what does God have for us? He has perfect love. So in our humanness and our brokenness, where we struggle with a whole pile of stuff in our everyday lives, oh boy, the alarm's gone off. Seriously? I have to get up. I don't particularly want to go to work today because I've got a face, yada, yada, yada. This is not a thing for me. This is... This is telling me that I'm fearful because of a certain situation. What Jesus would say to you is, do not be afraid because I am with you. I am with you. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, emphasises the fact The fact that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. So I guess what's the the response then? What is the response from Jesus, from Peter? Well, you know what? Whoops, sorry. They go back to the shore. They go back to the shore with all of their fish. They pull them in as far as they can and they go back to the shore. Now, if that was me, and I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be saying, you know what, we've got a good thing happening here. Jesus, how about we go into partnership? You tell us where to fish. I'll get a couple of other boats. We'll be able to get this really nice sort of place just at the side of the coast there, uh, look out over the place. We can get a whole fleet of these guys happening. You just tell them where to fish, and we'll, we'll do something pretty cool. Now, to be honest, that's what I would think, because I'm me. What did Peter do? He and his team, who'd been up all night, who'd just met Jesus, who'd just been absolutely amazed at this catch, who'd just responded in fear, they go back to the shore and they abandon their fish. They abandon them. They leave them there. Now, they might have said to somebody, hey, listen, bud, there's a whole pile of fish over there. Go your hardest or give it to the family. But they left them behind. 
They left their community, they left their family, they left all of their livelihood. They left it all behind. For what? To follow Jesus. To me, that speaks of this word, trust. They've gone from this encounter, a curiosity, through to an actual encounter and an experience which has impacted them personally in their workplace, through to then a point of fear, through to then a point of trust. And a case of saying to Jesus, you know what, I'm going to put my future in your hands. Rather than using my own wisdom, rather than using my own stuff, I'm actually going to give it to you. I'm actually going to let you be in control. Now this morning, as I close, and we come to a time of communion, I want to put this challenge out to you. Where do you put Jesus in your life? When you go to your different work environments, what does that mean for you within this context? What does that mean for you to take the God presence into that place, into your family, into dealing with your kids? What does that mean? Are you prepared to see to row out, to see Jesus at work in your life, are you prepared to see that? Are you prepared to respond? And what is your response? What is your response? This morning, as we come to communion, I want to see communion as a time for you to do business with God. Now, this is the time for you to do business with God. If you've got some stuff that you need to bring to him, understanding that he has come and he has met with you. So you can bring everything that you've got, you can give it over to him, and you can go deeper. You've got your elements there. Just pick those up and I'll just lead us in a time of quiet and then I'll get Rach and Noah to come up and I'll get you to Take the elements. So firstly, I want you to ask, just in your mind, I want you to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to me today? That small, still voice in your mind. Just listen to that small, still voice. Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Lord, don't let us get off the hook. As we think of the bread, we think of the body of Jesus Christ. that was given for us that was pierced for us but also we think of the wider body of Christ the church the wider body of Christ 
And our role within that is so critical. Holy Spirit, I just ask that as you speak to us, as you challenge us, that you would give us a vision and a perspective of what it is to be in your body as a child of the living God. Just take the bread and eat. Lord, we know there are so many obstacles to us taking what we see as our place in our relationship with you. There are so many buts there in our hearts, in our lives, in our circumstances, and we continually bring them to you. Lord, when we look at this juice, we understand that what has happened in pouring out your blood was that you brought us into that amazing relationship with the Father through forgiveness. And that forgiveness just goes so deep within who we are. So we don't have to put these but, but, but to you. We don't have to do that. We just have to come to you and say, Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I don't know that I can do it because of Lord, I'm not sure I can do this. And Jesus is saying to you, because I died on the cross, because of who you are now as a new creation, because you are forgiven and you are loved, because of that, you can. Jesus is saying to you, that is my but you because it is based on his character and his love let's drink thank you Lord for your love for the challenge that you've placed to us today I just ask that as we reflect and as we, um, as your spirit brings to mind things that we talked about today, I just pray, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would cause us to be the people that you have made us to be. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.